you um, have your Bibles tonight, um, let's go to, praise God, let's go to Psalm 24 real quick. We'll go to Psalm 24. This is where we began this morning. Um, I'm feeling drawn over to Luke 16. So we'll do that, then try to finish maybe in Romans. Praise God. Just give you a little foreshadowing of where we're headed. Amen. While you open to Psalm 24, um, let me uh, talk a little bit about the things we covered this morning. And I'll be digging into a little further and deeper tonight. Um, Two key things that you need to understand. Two key things that you need to understand. You need to understand your sonship and you need to understand your standing. Your sonship and your standing. Several years ago I had the opportunity to to go to Seattle, Washington and spend, um, when I say a week, it was was five full days, five eight-hour days with a gentleman named Michael Dye. And uh, Michael Dye is uh, a, I'm going to say, renowned uh, faith-based, Christ-centered uh, addiction recovery minister. And I got to go and, and train under him. And I was a little, I don't know, really know what to expect. I mean, I was in faith about it, but it was kind of a new experience for me. And um, I was the only person in the room East of the Mississippi River, you know, that it, and there was, was you know, folks were from, from out west, way out west for the most part, northwest for the most part. And so, you know, you're wondering if you're in the right place, you know, and if because you just invested a whole week of your life and time, and and um, he began that Monday morning, bright and early, talking about how the gifts of the Spirit are to be used in addiction recovery counseling, and I knew right then I was in the right place. But there was a question that he kept asking, and it seemed kind of unrelated. He was talking about the problem of institutionalization. I'm not here to really go into all that tonight. In other words, where people come to a a residential program and they become institutionalized, or someone spends a long term in prison, they become institutionalized. And he kept asking the question, how do you deinstitutionalize, deinstitutionalize people while they're in your institution? And he never would give us the answer. He never would even tell us his thoughts on it. He just asked the question. Well, I thought, you know, I kind of jotted it down. I thought, well, let's get on to what we're here for, you know. And he kept bringing it up. And then the next day, he brought it up a couple of more times. And then the third day, he brought it up a couple more times. And I was just talking to the Lord about it. And, and it's like the Lord's trying to show me that there's something really important here that... Um, I was treating lightly. And there was, I, I mean, I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, you know, I wasn't really, con- I don't know how to, kind of going out on a limb here to try to explain, I guess, where I was on that. Um, and I'm like, well, Lord, what's, what is, you know, what's the deal here? He said, there's a level of importance in what he's talking about that you don't understand yet. And so that evening I got before the Lord, I'm like, well, <laughs> If it's, if it's that important and I'm treating it lightly, then, then I'm going to ask you, Father, how do you deinstitutionalize somebody while they're in your institution? It almost sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? 
I mean, it's, how do you deinstitutionalize somebody who's in your institution? And clear as a bell, the Lord spoke to me, not audibly, but in my heart. He, clear, he said, you do not do their thinking for them. You do not do their thinking for them. Okay. Now, I bring that up tonight because I think sometimes we all have a tendency to hear a message or a series of messages, a sermon, certain things that are emphasized and they're emphasized again Sunday night, then they're emphasized again the next Sunday morning, then they're emphasized again the next Sunday night. And I never forget years ago there was uh, somebody who came to me after a service and and uh, I won't talk about the, <laughs> the sermon topic, but she said, Pastor Mark, I've got to confess to you, I, was, I kept, you know, wondering when you were going to move on. Surely people have this by now. And she said, I finally realized that I'm the one that doesn't have it yet. You know, and, and so what we're talking about tonight, I, I want you to ask the Lord really, and I'm asking him with you, amen to help us understand the, the depth of this. There, there are certain things in our Christian walk that, and I use the analogy a lot of times when I'm teaching of like a, a traffic jam. And uh, you know, you have three lanes of traffic, two of them blocked by an accident and traffic backed up for seven miles. And if you can ever clear that traffic jam, you got three lanes of open interstate ahead of you and you, you can really make a lot of progress, but until you clear that blockage, you're, you're pretty much sitting in place. You're not making much progress at all. And there are certain doctrinal traffic jams, and there are certain things that people have a really hard time getting past in their, in their thinking and in their understanding and the way they see things. And because of that, it, 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 it creates a, a, a stagnation, a log jam, if you will, um, in their Christian life and in their ability to grow and, and make progress. But if you could ever... If you can ever get past that, let the Holy Spirit help you. That's one of the reasons that Sister Pam felt led of the Holy Spirit to do it again on the bulletin board this year. We asked that question. Remember the Lord asked us uh, some while back, don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? And a lot of times the walls that we keep, keep hitting are not things in our flesh. They may manifest as problems and issues in our flesh, but, but where the wall really exists, the stronghold really exists is in our thinking. It, it's, in, it's in our perspective. It's in the way we see things. And, and I think more times than not, it's, it's in the way we see ourselves. It's what we ultimately think about ourselves. Amen. All right, so let's, let's, uh, let's so before I look at the verses, so again, <clears throat> we're talking about our sonship. We're, we are sons of God. Even, ladies, no offense, but the good news is, as far as father is concerned, you're not any less because you're a female physical gender. You have the same standing with him as a son. Uh, Galatians 3 and 26 says, For we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. So in father's eyes, he understands that you're a woman, but he doesn't, he doesn't um, penalize you in any way because of that. In a, in a natural Jewish family, uh, the firstborn male son would have received the majority of the family's inheritance, and then the rest of the inheritance would have been divided among the, the male uh, sons in birth order, and the women would have been left out of it altogether. So when he's talking about our inheriting the blessing, and that's ultimately what 
we're laying a foundation for is to see that the only way to qualify for the blessing is to be justified. Justified equals qualified. Okay, But Father has established it so that you receive the blessing through inheritance. So this means the blessing in your life is not based upon what you do. Inheritance is not based upon what you do. Inheritance is based upon who you are. Inheritance is about being. Earning is about doing. And so we see that we receive the blessing of Abraham into our lives through inheritance. We inherit it because of who we are. We do not earn it by what we do. Amen. So when we talk about sonship and standing, it's one thing to be a son. It's another thing to be a son in right standing. And we see that Jesus has accomplished both for us. He has made us sons of God. And he has made us sons of God in right standing. You can be a son you know, of your earthly father, but not necessarily be in right standing with him. Okay? So it's sonship and standing. The standing that you have as a son of God. Amen. As the offspring of God in the earth. Okay? So we're going to build on some of that tonight a little more. Amen? So Psalm 24 and verse number 1, it says, The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Let me stop right here. It's a little early to make this connection, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and just plant the seed. Okay? Who is, who is heir of this world? Who, who, who received... Um, has been given the inheritance of this world in all of its glory. Jesus. The Bible clearly says that Jesus is the heir of this world. But remember, we are joint heirs with him. So even when we, when we look at this verse right here, it may not specifically mention inheritance, but there are some very key connections that, that we'll work on uh, a little bit later down the road. But again, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Do you see that? Or who, who may stand before him? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Notice it says he shall receive blessing from the Lord. And that's really not that foreign of an idea. We see in scriptures where, you know, different people received blessing from the Lord. What is very interesting and somewhat unique is that in this particular passage where we see blessing and righteousness in the same verse... The context here is that both of them are something Father God desires to give. Remember, you can't be blessed without righteousness. Amen. But in the Old Testament, righteousness was something that was earned. Here, he says that he's going to do what? He shall receive. In other words, 
you receive something that's given, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and he shall receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. So as born again men and women, we have what? We've been given righteousness. It's not something that we, that we uh, earned by doing, but righteousness is something we've become by receiving. Okay? Are you with me? That's, that's, again, that's one of those things back to the, the beginning of the message, you know, that I was using that example of where the man kept saying the same thing over and over again, and finally the Lord said, you know, you're, not, you're taking this too lightly. This is important. You need to, he wouldn't be saying this over and over again if it wasn't something you needed to really, you know, take seriously and, and spend some time understanding and seeking an answer for. And so, again, th this is one of those key areas that's very, very important. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll point out here, and then we'll move over into the book of Luke. Um, notice he says, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now, <clears throat> we represent a generation of men and women that Father God has looked for from the beginning of time. It's what the Holy Spirit through Peter calls a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. We, we are generation Christ. Amen. And what that simply means is we, we are a generation of people who have been born of God, who have been born of God. But listen to me very carefully. We were born of God because we chose to receive Him and to receive His gift of salvation. Now, we sang the song a moment ago about Jesus coming down from heaven to restore me, okay? In other words, he, he came to restore us. We know that part of that restoration involves restoring back to you and me. Listen very carefully to this, please. Restoring back to you and me everything that Adam lost when Adam sinned. In other words, Adam was large and in charge. Adam was given dominion over his domain. And when he fell, he fell from a very high place. He fell from a very uh, important place. He was given authority and responsibility over this entire planet. And when he fell, he fell from that position and subjected himself to Father God's arch enemy. Jesus came Prophetically, Father God said that seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Well, Father God understands human reproduction. Father God understands seed doesn't come from a woman, seed comes from a man. But he was prophetically speaking of the day that Jesus would come and crush the authority of the devil, the authority that he stole, hijacked, if you will, from Adam. Are you following me so far? Now, we see then that part of what Jesus came to do for us was to restore our authority in the earth back to us. And this is why Jesus says things after his death, burial, resurrection, all authority now belongs to me. And I now give to you uh, my name to operate in. So he restored us. Are you hearing me? He restored us. He restored us into fellowship with our Father. 
Because sin interrupted that fellowship and separated us from that fellowship. He restored us from that fellowship. So again, Jesus came to restore us, right? In the sense that he, he uh, reissued so many of the things that had been initially given um, to Adam. But listen to me, please, very carefully. Father did not, through Jesus restore us back to the same place that Adam occupied. So Adam occupied a very high place. When Jesus came to restore us, he did not restore us back to the same place Adam once occupied. He restored us to a higher place than that. Okay? And that's extremely important. He restored us back to a higher place than that. Adam was never seated together with Jesus in heavenly places. Adam was, although he was created by God and received his life from God, right? Only those who choose to forever become one with God can forever become one with him. And that's what we chose when we chose him as our Lord and Savior. When we chose... Let, 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 me, let me try to, let me, let me see if I can. I don't want to confuse you here. This is important. I want to try to keep it as simple as I can, okay? Um, what did you do to be born physically? <laughs> you, you see, you, you had no choice in that. It was somebody else's choices, amen, that ultimately led to your presence here on this planet, okay? But let me tell you the choice that you do have tonight. You do have the choice to be born of God. You didn't have the choice to be born of your mom and daddy, but you do have the choice to be born of God. Amen. So when he talks about this generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, he's not just talking about people who seek his hand, who only want his help, but people who want him, people who want to know him, people who want to have fellowship with him, people who, who want to have, like Moses, a face-to-face -face relationship with him. He's offering that to us. But again, this is something that a man or a woman must choose. We must choose sonship. We, we must choose to receive this kind of standing with God. Amen. Now, turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. For those of you who were hoping for a little more time out of Romans tonight, I apologize, maybe we get back to that. I just really felt so... I don't want to try to over-spiritualize it here. I just felt so compelled. That's the right word. I felt so compelled to come here. Luke chapter 15. And in verse number 11... Luke 15, 11. I apologize, I, I do not have the slides to put up on the screen uh, for this. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Divided to them, the older and the younger, his livelihood. In other words, he gave them their inheritance. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal just simply means riotous and wasteful. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, I think it's pretty clear, but I want to, I want to emphasize what this young man was thinking. He was hungry. He had become another man's slave, another man's servant, and they weren't even feeding him. And so he decided that he would go home to his father not to be, and so this is the part again I want to emphasize, not to be his father's son again, not to be a son in right standing, but to be a servant, to, to be one of his dad's servants or slaves. Why? Because he said, I'm no longer worthy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that this perpetual feeling of and confessing of our unworthiness is, is, not, is not pleasing to God, it's not is not honoring God and is not getting us anywhere that we need to be. And we need to once and for all come to terms with the fact that none of us were worthy, we were all deserving of death, but because of the great love with which He loved us, Jesus came and redeemed us and saved us and restored us and gave us opportunity to be born a second time, to become father's sons once again, and to receive an abundance of grace and a gift of right standing, not because, again, we earned it by doing, but we became it by receiving. Okay? No longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said... Uh, make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember, and it's, to me it was, it was one of the um, key things that father emphasized to us on last year. And we continue to mention it quite frequently on Wednesday night this year. And it was what the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says in the, in the Amplified Version, what she said within herself continually. What she said within herself continually. And the thing the Holy Spirit was breathing on where we're concerned. And so I want to ask you again tonight, what are you saying within yourself continually? What are you saying within yourself continually? What are you rehearsing? What, what are you, what are you, you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it may be something you whisper or mutter out of your mouth. Sometimes you say it audibly out loud, but a lot of times it's just something you say in your mind. The enemy has tried since you were very, 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 very small, before you even knew that matter you were in this world, to get you saying things about yourself continually that do not agree 
with what the Word of God says about you. Okay? So you got, you got to let the Holy Spirit help you there. It's very deceptive. Okay? Lies that have been spoken over you. Images from those things formed within you. Notice this young man. Before he ever said it out loud to his father standing face to face with him, he had already rehearsed this speech, I believe, a thousand times in his mind, right? We all know what it's like to have to have an awkward conversation with somebody. We all know what it's like to, you know, try to figure out before the conversation begins, you know, how we're going to try to start it, especially if we feel like we've wronged somebody or trying to make amends in some way. And so, obviously, that's where this young man was. But it's of no coincidence that he said it within himself first before he ever said it out loud to his father. But notice that while he's saying this, these things, his father is hugging him and kissing him. Again, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my servant was dead. Is that what it says? No, this my son. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now look at me for just a moment, okay? There's a, there's a lot here I want to try to cover in just a few minutes. And this is a side of this story as many times as I've taught from it that I've just recently uh, had revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. And it goes back to what we were speaking to just a moment ago. This younger brother did not choose to be born into his father's house. And he left his father's house. And he left his father to go and do his own thing. Maybe he told himself he was going to try to find his own way in the world. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know that he went buck wild crazy when he got out there. Made a lot of big mistakes. But when he came home, he came home by choice. Are you seeing this? He didn't choose to be born in that house, but after he had made a miserable existence for himself... He chose to come home to his father's house. And this parable is about a lot of things, but one of the key things that this, this parable and the ones that come before it are trying to reveal to you and me, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to reveal to us is the heart of our Heavenly Father for us. Remember, he tells, he tells the parable about uh, the lost sheep. 99, 100 sheep, 99's missing, one's missing, 99 are in the fold. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. Parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. Jesus is wanting us to understand. And so in each of these cases, when that which was lost was found, there was tremendous celebration. There was tremendous celebration. Okay? So I want you to see the two attitudes here as it relates to sonship and standing. When the young man comes home, his father runs down the road and, and meets him. He doesn't even wait for him to get all the way there. He runs to him 
and, and falls on his neck and kisses him and says that this is my son. He was dead, but now he's alive again. He puts a robe on his back, ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. All three of those things are highly symbolic. Okay. The robe represents right standing. The ring represents authority. And the sandals represent freedom. Okay. Now, because this father divided his livelihood between his two sons, we might best understand it in our common, in our day, as what would be like a living trust. He would have been, by law, required to reserve a portion for himself to continue to live on. So the ring and the robe and the sandals that would have been given to this younger brother would have been the father's robe. It would have been the father's ring. It would have been the father's sandals. He gave him of his own right standing. He gave him of his own authority. And he gave him of his own freedom. Are you seeing this? This, this, again, Jesus is trying to help you and me understand the heart of our Heavenly Father. We looked at it this morning. I don't think we have time to get back to it tonight. But the Bible says we've been given righteousness, even the righteousness of God. He gave us His righteousness. Father has given us His righteousness. He has given us the authority that is in the greatest name, the name above every name. Right? That's the authority that we have. We have the authority of Jesus. We have the freedom from sin that Jesus paid such a, a high price to earn for us. And, and he, he, he doesn't have this wait and see attitude. So that's the way the world works. The world's like, well, you know, I don't know. He's make it, maybe just got caught up in the emotion of the moment. Let's just kind of wait and see if he's going to hang around or let's see if he's serious. No, no, see. This father's attitude was, my son, my son, my son, and notice the standing. The standing. The robe, the ring, the sandals. But in spite of what this father in the story was doing, the son kept this attitude that I'm not a son, I'm a servant. And I believe his hopes were, are you ready? That he could somehow come on board as a servant and earn his way back into right standing. He didn't see himself as a son in right standing. He saw himself as a servant trying to earn his standing again with his father. Are you seeing this? I want you to see this, man. This is so important here that and that is not uh, that is not what father desires and it is uh, not anything that is how do we say this honorable to him amen praise God um, real quick like I know I know we're out of time it was 612 this time yesterday as brother Jerry pointed out this morning amen so are you all right for just a few more minutes? Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's go then to Romans chapter 3. Amen. Romans chapter 3. 
and verse 21. Romans 3 and 21. Praise God. It says this, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. So this isn't for just, you know, a select group of believers, but it's for every believer. This is something that has been made available to every born-again man or woman. Now, if we know anything from reading the Bible, we know that heaven has a different perspective on things than we have here on the earth. Um, For instance, the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Well, you know, it's... It's, it's hard, you know, when you're with a grieving family to see anything precious about death. But what we don't understand is that a, a goodbye here is a welcome home there. Because, it, again, it's, it's a different perspective. We have this tendency, thank you, Holy Spirit, we, we have this tendency to be like that younger brother and only consider how our rebellion against Father broke his heart and never stop to consider how our choice to come home blessed and touched his heart. Because when you choose him, See, none of, well, none of us chose to be here. I'm talking about be on planet Earth. None of us chose to be born. We're not here because of our will. We're not here because, you know, we petitioned heaven and finally, you know, a set of DNA came available and we got to hop in it and take some cosmic ride from heaven to the earth. And here we are. We finally all got what we wished for. No, none of that, see. And we think, oh, you know, I've done this, I've disappointed God, I've made this mistake, I keep doing this over and over again. And, and, and we, we get caught up in that mindset, right? Without ever stopping to consider that when we chose to come home to Him, we chose to become one with Him forever. We, we chose to be a part of something that is, English words escape me right here, but if you've served Jesus for 50 years, you're not even in the first millisecond of your history with Him. Again, see that's one of those different perspectives we, we have this tendency to put so much emphasis on, on what's happening right now without the perspective of eternity. I like to say it this way. Father has more than a hundred year plan for your life. And whether you realize it or not, even if you were very young when you chose Him and said yes to Him, you, you said yes to a whole lot more than you even had the capacity to understand in that moment. 
But see, it goes back to what Matthew was saying a moment ago. His love for you, his desire for you. He knows what you said no to when you chose him. And he knows what you said yes to when you chose him. Even though we don't fully understand the scope of it. And that's why he gets so excited. We're, we're caught up in something that we did three years ago. And he already knows what you and him are going to be doing together 300 years from today. Do, do you see the perspective on this, right? And we're like, you know, I just want to try to be a servant and maybe I can do enough good one day to, you know, try to at least, you know, counteract some of the bad that I've done and, you know, just limp along. And, and, um, and man, he's like kissing you and throwing a party and giving you his right standing and calling you a son and putting his ring on your finger and his shoes on your feet and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace to go tell the good news of good things to anybody that listened to you. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's a completely different perspective. And his is the perspective that we need. We need his perspective on our sonship and on our standing. Amen. 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 I think I'm done now. Stand with me. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> Anybody remember what it feels like to be chosen? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, you know, you, somebody chooses you. Amen. Now listen, I understand the Bible says we didn't choose him, he chose us. But we still have a choice in this, right? Amen. Amen. And it touches him in ways that we will spend eternity understanding when you choose him, when you say yes to him. Amen. Amen. And so, Father, we stand before you tonight as those that you set your love upon. We stand before you.